Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from 1 Peter, Peter's first letter. And as we prepare to read God's word, let us seek God's illuminating grace. As we humbly ask, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, and use us. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Carolyn and I have two children, a son Michael and a daughter Catherine. And when Catherine was quite a bit younger than the young adult she is today, she had an extensive collection of stones. Whenever she saw a rock on the ground that she liked, she would, would pick it up and, and study it and then put it in her pocket. She was always finding rocks. And we would find these new treasures in the pocket of our clothes in the dirty laundry or scattered on the floor of my car. During her preschool and early elementary years, her collection grew and grew, but it was rather ordinary. At least that's what I thought. It seemed to me rather ordinary, but if I would ask Catherine why she collected this particular rock, or stone, she could always tell me something special about it, something that I couldn't see. The quartz geode that is on our altar this morning and lit by a candle is one of, it's not one of her early treasures, but something that she purchased probably as a middle schooler. It has a, a plain exterior, but it is magnificent inside. If you don't know, Jesus was a rock collector. He went around collecting stones by the name of Simon and James and John and Andrew. 
And Jesus collected other stones named Mary and Joanna and Susanna and Salome, among others. Today, our lesson comes from one of the rocks that Jesus collected by the name of Peter. But his name wasn't always Peter. Peter's name was originally Simon, Simon, son of Jonah. And in a play on words, Jesus renamed Simon Peter, or in Greek, Petros. Jesus told Petros that he would be the rock, the Petra in Greek, upon which Jesus would build his church. Jesus saw amazing potential in Peter, but also in the other disciples, both men and women, who Jesus was melting and molding and filling and using, building them up into a spiritual house. In our lesson, Peter is writing to a Christian community that is struggling, really struggling to establish its sense of identity and commitment in a largely pagan and alien culture. Although 1 Peter acknowledges these Christians are are more than infants in the faith and required a, a careful diet of spiritual milk, Peter nevertheless calls them to become living stones. Despite the newness of their faith, Peter declares that their spiritual home is rock solid as long as it is built upon the living stone of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that unless God builds the house, we labor to build the house in vain. To be clear, we are talking about living stones, not a single living stone. Like living stones... Peter writes, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Peter writes, see, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Yet Peter knows that it's not possible to build a structure with only a cornerstone and one other stone. Or to use Peter's language from this passage, we're not God's own person. We're God's own people. In fact, except when speaking of the cornerstone that is Christ, all the other metaphors in our passage are in their plural form. As commentator Lewis Donaldson says it, Holiness is not an any individual's own possession. It exists when someone loves another. The kind of holiness that comes from the living stones exists only in community. The idea of not only holiness, but good deeds, spiritual growth, love, and the like are best fostered by a faith community, but also that the community itself and not the individual is the primary channel of faith. And stones become living by coming to the cornerstone 
and through the Holy Spirit, discovering where they fit into God's design. End quote. I'm not sure that we who live in Northern Virginia can truly understand the passage or truly understand the magnitude of Peter's visions of stones and unless we understand from where Peter is writing his words. I'm sure many of you or at least some of you have been to Israel. I have not. But I've been told that it is a most beautiful country, but yes, very different than Virginia. Jerusalem has been described as a city built on a hill with valleys on each side. And as you look across to the Mount of Olives uh, from the, the Temple uh, Mount, you can see, yes, some grass and some trees, but mainly you see stones and you see rocks. The city of Jerusalem itself is stone built on top of a stone mount and constructed from stone. All the houses, the temples, and even the church walls are, are made of limestone. And it looks like stones piled up and piled up one on top of the other to create the city. So imagine, if you would, with me this morning. Peter is sitting at his desk or at a table. And he's looking out a small window writing this letter. And as he looks around, what does he see? All he sees is stone. Stone in the hills, stone in the buildings, stone in the walls. And as he's writing to encourage the followers of Jesus, Peter remembers the words that Jesus spoke as he rode into Jerusalem, as recorded by the gospel writer Luke. Jesus says, I tell you, if these, and he's talking about his disciples, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Peter then looks at his parchment and he offers the followers of Jesus words of encouragement, urging them to move in faith, to continue the discipleship that they've already begun and to connect in community for mutual support and to rededicate themselves to following Jesus with one another. Peter looks out and he, he sees all those stones piled up one on top of the other. And he knows that if they were alive in Jesus Christ and connected in unity, they would prove to be an amazing witness. Just as he knew the amazing community of God's people, that is the church, would be an amazing witness if they lived into the fullness of God's call. Peter adopts the language of God's people or, or the people of God from Scripture and he applies it to the church. In the church, Peter tells us the Lord is seeking to craft not a physical house, but a spiritual one. Peter calls the church in verses 5 and 9 
a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And Peter tells us, you and me, what the purpose of God's spiritual house is. That we, plural, that you and I may proclaim the, the mighty acts of him who has called us out of darkness into his amazing, beautiful, marvelous light. Do you think of yourselves in those terms, in that way, as part of a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Are you priests? Or is that a role only that you have if your title is pastor at St. Stephen's? No, there's nothing in the Bible that says a person needs a high school diploma or a GED or a college degree or a master's of divinity to share God's love. Training maybe helps, but non-ordained people, yes, they can be trained too, of course. And a program like Stephen Ministry, and we have Stephen ministers here at St. Stephen's, trains people to care for others one-on-one. -on -one. But it's just one example, and we have lots of examples, from a calling ministry to shepherd's ministry, grace ministries to, to, to small groups and small group leaders, children's Sunday school teachers and youth coaches and various administrative committee members, just to name a few. Each and more are examples of how non-ordained people are freed from the shackles of Christian inferiority in order to serve Jesus. Yes, God is all about still working to melt and to mold and to fill us and to use us. We are God's people. You are God's priests. And that's God's decision and not yours. But priests, we must claim the name. In ancient Israel, priests acted as mediators between God and the people. They ministered according to God's instructions and they offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. If you find a way to win people to Christ, with or, out, or without one of your pastors, you should do it. If you have gifts that build up the church in Christ's love, and your pastors don't know about it, use these gifts anyway. You are all God's people, God's priests. If God has given you a vision 
about how God's grace can operate in this time and place, safely follow that vision, obey the Lord. You are God's ministers. You are God's priests. We, all of us, are called to hear Peter's words and accept Christ's invitation to be his spiritual house and to be Christ's living stones. Not by what we do as individuals, but by how we come together. How we come together and and as we come to Christ to build up more and more his church. Maybe you've heard about the Husky United Methodist pastor who retired a couple of years ago. He began to draw his pension and his social security, but he began to grow, grow restless. And he began looking for work. He wrote to the, uh, uh, and answered an ad to the, the local zoo. And the zookeeper called him and says, we need a gorilla. Ours just died. And do you know how hard it is to find a gorilla these days? We have a gorilla suit and it looks like maybe you would fit it. The retired pastor really liked that idea and about entertaining the visitors and the children. So he gave it a try. And he did really well. Soon he was adept at climbing the tree and swinging from one of the branches in the gorilla suit. And one day he climbed a little too high and swung a little too hard and fell over the fence into the lion's cage. And when he hit the ground, he jumped up in that gorilla suit and he ran towards the fence screaming and yelling for help. The the lion awoke and said, oh, be quiet. You're not the only retired pastor here. Now, when we come to Christ, we don't just put on a Christian suit for a few hours a day. We make ourselves available to Christ. We come to Christ. To be transformed more and more into his image. More and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That his righteousness becomes more and more real in our lives. We become so filled with the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we become living stones. And we allow ourselves to be built up into a spiritual house. And we go forth to live as people who have been anointed. Anointed as priests. Yes, you are a royal priesthood. You are God's own people. The church. May it be so now and forevermore. Amen.